0: Imagine that you develop a serious headache that just doesn't go away. It lasts for a week and your, your head is just pounding. Uh, finally, you decide to visit your family physician and he runs a series of tests and to his horror, he discovers that you have a massive brain tumor. Now, what does a good doctor do at that point? Uh, it's not pleasant to tell you the facts. So, should he just say, here's a couple of aspirin, uh, go home and go to bed? Of course not. A good doctor will sit you down and he will tell you the unpleasant truth that you need to know. He's going to recommend an emergency operation because that's what you need to save your life. Welcome to Earth's final crisis. What you must know to survive the days ahead. The Bible is very clear about what is coming. And as a minister and as a good spiritual doctor, it is my responsibility to tell you the truth. In Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, this is what the Scripture prophesies, that the time is coming when there will be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. As you look around, it's very obvious, at least to those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, that ancient prophecies are being fulfilled, and that we are on the edge of the apocalyptic grand finale, the time of trouble, predicted in the Bible. The signs are everywhere. Uh, Increasing natural deadly disasters like hurricanes, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, fires, floods. They just keep coming in rapid succession, one after another. Extreme bizarre weather patterns, uh, record heat, record cold. Uh, People have never seen the kind of strange weather that they're seeing right now. Increased immorality. It's all around us. People don't know what's right anymore, what's wrong. We live in an age of moral confusion. Economic uncertainty. We are teetering on the edge of a a global economic meltdown and a lot of uh, Economists they know it. Maybe it's not in the news, but they know that we are uh, we're in a very very precarious condition increased pollution Dangerous toxicity that is in the environment that is making people sick with strange uh, and bizarre diseases that just can't be cured by modern medicine Mass animal die-offs, I've done a lot of research about the birds and the bats and the bees and the fish and the whales and the dolphins that are dropping dead uh, around the world for very uh, mysterious reasons that people just can't quite put their finger on. One of them has to do with the bees. The bees, uh, it's it's a big crisis, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, But this is the front cover of a recent issue of Time Magazine, and it's all about the vanishing of the bees, which is called Colony Collapse Disorder. It says here, a world without bees. It's, uh, It's very frightening to read this article. The feature story says that you can thank the bees for one in every three mouthfuls of food that you eat. Honeybees are the glue that holds our agricultural system together, and that glue is failing. Here it says one-third of the US honeybees, the colonies, have died or disappeared during the past winter. A 42% increase over the year before and well above the 10 to 15% losses that beekeepers used to experience in normal winters. Something is going on, something is strange, and they really can't quite figure out exactly why all these bees are dying. Now here it says that what is really scary is the fear that bees may be a sign of what is to come, a symbol that something is terribly wrong with the world around us. If we don't make some changes soon, we are going to see disaster, and the bees are just the beginning. When you put all these signs together, from earthquakes to fires to floods to immorality, what's happening in nature, uh, it's very obvious, again, that the biblical signs are fulfilling all around us, that the apocalypse That has been predicted in Scripture is at the door and just like the Bible says there will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time we are on the edge of that time but it's not all bad news Uh, thank God there is good news in the book it says at that time your people shall be delivered everyone that shall be found written in the book God is going to have a people that survive, that go through the final times, that go through the seven last plagues described in Revelation chapter 16. They are going to make it, they are going to be rescued, they're going to be delivered at the return of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm here to tell you about as we continue on with this uh, very timely and practical program telling you the things that you need to know to get ready for the future. In Daniel chapter 12 verse 4 it tells us that there will be a final time right before the end when God is going to be giving special information to his people. Daniel 12 4 talks about a time called the time of the end and when the time of the end comes many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Now the time of the end is not the end but it's the time right before the end when God is giving prophetic intelligence information to his people to get them ready for the crisis. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, it continues and talks about this time period. It says that in the time of the end many shall be purified. Now notice it says many, not all. Uh, Some don't want to hear. Some just would rather be entertained. They'd rather just uh, watch the sports game. They don't really want to know the facts. They'd like to be like an ostrich that puts its head in the sand and they just really really don't want to know. So not everybody is going to be up on this information, but many will. Many will be purified. Uh, God is going to purify a people. He's going to purify their hearts. He's going to cleanse their lives from sin and he's getting a people ready right now. Many shall be purified and made white. They will be clothed with the white robe of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and then they will be tried, they'll be tested, they'll be uh, in the middle of the storm, but they will stand up for God and do what's right when the crisis hits. And then it says, but the wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand. The wicked just, they just don't want to know. They'd rather take two aspirin and go to bed than learn the facts. The wicked will do wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand, but the wise they shall understand. God is going to have a people who are wise, a people who study the Bible, a people who know the facts, and who understand what is coming. There are many verses in the book of Revelation that talk about the future. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10 tells us that we are on the edge of the hour of temptation, which shall test those who dwell upon the earth. Revelation 13 verse 16 and 17 says that the time is coming when something called the mark of the beast will be enforced around the world, which we'll talk about in a little while. Revelation 16 verses 14 to 16 tells us that there is a final battle, the great day of God Almighty, and that we need to be on God's side and not on the side of the enemy. Revelation 22, verse 7, which takes us down to the very last chapter of the Bible, the very final words of God before the end. Chapter 22, verse 7 says, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. The conclusion of all of these signs and all of this uh, apocalyptic, the final scenario, is ultimately the return of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Uh, And that being the case, the key to our preparation is not guns, it's not gold, it's not uh, charcoal filters and dried fruit and beans and getaways and hideouts, uh, as important as some of those things may be. The golden key to getting ready for the apocalypse is getting to know the One who is coming again. It's getting to know Jesus. He says, behold, I am coming quickly. And then he says, blessed is he who keeps the saying of the prophecy of this book. God has given us a book. He's given us information. He's given us biblical prophecy that we need to know. The real intelligence information that you need and that I need, it's not gonna come from Nostradamus, from Edgar Cayce, from uh, Greek or Roman oracles. It's not gonna come from Chinese seers or astrologists or witches or horoscopes or palm readers. It's going to come from the prophecy of this book. It's gonna come from God's book God's word. In Revelation 22 verse 10 it says, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. The seconds are ticking, time is running out, the signs are all around us, the final crisis, the time of trouble is coming, the mark of the beast is coming, Uh, The last battle is coming, and we need to make sure that we are survivors, that we make it through these final days, that we are among those who are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And that's what Earth's final crisis, what you must know to survive, is all about. So don't go away. As a good doctor, I'm about to give you the facts that you need to know to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 16 verse 16 describes the final battle between good and evil. Verse 16 calls it Armageddon. In verse 14 it tells us that this is the battle of the great day of God Almighty. We want to be on God's side in that final war. We want to be uh, on the side of truth and righteousness. But in order for us to be on God's side it is also very helpful to us to know our enemy to know what he's up to, to understand his satanic strategy in these end times. And part of that strategy is revealed two verses before verse 16 in verse 14. It tells us that they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God almighty. Uh, Revelation 16:14 predicts that there will be a final burst of Uh, devilish activity around the world to fasten people in deception. They're called spirits of devils working miracles. Now it's a fact that uh, millions of people today don't even believe in a devil. They don't think there is a personal being named Lucifer or Satan. Uh, Somebody once said that one of the greatest deceptions of the devil is to convince humanity that there is no devil. And that's true. Uh, There is a devil. The Bible is very clear. And Revelation 16, 14 tells us that the spirits of devils will go out and they will will work miracles right before the final battle of Armageddon. One of the ways that the devil performs his miracles to deceive is to impersonate those that have died. Uh, This is part of his satanic strategy to fasten people in his snare, because if they believe that the devils are really the spirits of the dead, then Satan can instruct them uh, according to his will. It's very easy for the spirits of devils and for satanic agencies to appear, to look like, to act like, and to talk like those that have died. They can appear as celebrities, they can appear as politicians, they can appear as your relatives, uh, your parents, your great-grandparents, even your children, if uh, unfortunately your children die before you do. Uh, the devil is ruthless, and he is pulling out all the stops in these last days. And in just a few minutes, I'll show you what the Bible actually says about talking to the dead. But first, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12 God clearly warns us about these false satanic miracles designed to deceive. In verse 9, it talks about the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. God tells us that truth is what we need to avoid satanic deception. Truth is what we need to survive. And it's not just knowing the truth, it's, and it's not just loving the truth, it is receiving the love of the truth that we might be saved. Verse 11 says, and for this cause God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These words deeply impress me. That we are in a battle between lies and strong delusion and the truth. And God wants us to know the truth. He wants us to love the truth. He wants us to receive the love of the truth. This is uh, part of the resources that he's given us to help us to survive in the final days so that we're not duped and deceived by the spirits of devils and their global satanic manifestations. Now let's go to the book of Job and see what it says about dead people coming back and talking to us. In the book of Job, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, the Bible is very clear. The scripture says, as the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave shall come up no more. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. Uh, These verses are very clear that when a person dies uh, they can't just come back to their home uh, and talk to you Uh, I remember when I was a little boy there was a woman that cleaned uh, my father's house uh, in Southern California and I remember her name was Mary and One day Mary came up to me and she said Steve uh, You're never gonna guess what what I saw and I said what I was just maybe nine or ten years old and and Mary said that uh, her husband had died and that one night he walked right in through the screen door into her bedroom and had a conversation with him and she told me she said it was him I talked to my dead husband and as a nine-year-old I really didn't know what to say I hadn't studied my Bible I didn't know what Job uh, taught about this and so I just probably just thought wow that's quite amazing uh, a number of years ago I was a pastor in North Dakota and by this time I'd grown up and I was studying my Bible and I knew what God had to say about this. And there was a story circulating around the town where I lived, just a small town, about a little boy that had died. And uh, this boy was maybe 13 or 14, uh, maybe 12. And he started appearing to his relatives uh, and talking to them. And so the stories were really going around. Wow, this the little boy's ghost has come back. Uh, well, as time went on, eventually this ghost appeared to this uh, little boys, or uh, this young young man's grand, grandmother, and this grandmother knew her Bible. She knew what the Bible says, that those who go down to the grave don't come back, and that they do not return anymore to their houses, and she knew this, and when this, uh, this ghost of this young boy appeared to this grandmother and started talking to her, uh, she remembered the Bible, and she confronted the Spirit, and she said, in the name of Jesus Christ. Get out of here! In the name of Jesus, go!" And all of a sudden that boyish face just changed. It was transformed into a hideous expression. And then poof! It was gone. And word continued to spread around the town that obviously uh, that ghost was not the ghost of that little boy. It was a spirit of a devil that was impersonating a dead loved one. Uh, We need to know what the Bible says. About the topic of death. We need to know what's going to happen when we die. Uh, If we don't, we are subject. We are actually sitting ducks uh, that can easily be misled and be deceived by spirits of devils impersonating the dead. Uh, Somebody once said, be careful of a half-truth because you may end up with the wrong half. We need more than half-truths in these last days. We need the whole truth And Nothing, but the truth so help us God and that truth is in the Bible and the Bible is very clear that communication with the dead is Taboo it's out God says no stay away from it don't be involved at all now Here's the reason in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 5 the Bible gives us a Very pointed truth that many refuse to accept they refuse to believe but it's right here in God's book Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says that the living know that they will die, but the dead know not anything. The dead don't know anything. In verse 10 it says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. According to these inspired words, dead people, they just don't know anything. Uh, They're not up there looking down on us. They're not down there looking up on us. They can't. Go into the spirit world and then come back and forth uh, at will, Uh, they certainly don't return as a mouse or a frog. Uh, The Bible is very clear that these things are just, they're just not true. God's Word says that the dead, they don't know anything. And let me just give you a quick survey of some very uh, powerful biblical facts that we need to know to survive the deceptions that are going to be all around us in the last days of this earth's history psalm chapter 6 verse 5 says that in death there is no remembrance of god in the grave who will give you thanks in psalm 115 verse 17 the bible is very clear that the dead do not praise the lord nor any that go down into silence in psalm 146 verse 4 and you can look up all these verses in your own bible they're right there psalm 146 verse 4 says that in the very day when a person dies his thoughts perish he doesn't continue to think after death he is dead as ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says the living know that they will die but the dead know not anything 1 corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4 tell us in the midst of the bad news it tells us the good news that there is hope on the other side of the grave that death is not the last word, that uh, when we breathe our final breath uh, that we can still hope for a future and it's, it's a beautiful future. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 3 and 4, it tells us what, what Jesus did for us, the gospel, the good news of our Savior. Paul wrote, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died, for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible uh, when God made a perfect world and then Adam and Eve chose to sin and follow uh, the serpent to follow Lucifer. The whole world has fallen and as a result we die. Death has entered humanity because of sin. But the good news is that uh, God still loves us. He hasn't forsaken his world. He hasn't turned his back on us forever. But he sent his own son to come down into human form, to live a perfect life, a holy life, a loving life, a godly life. And at the end of that life, the Bible says that Christ, he died. He gave his life. He suffered in Gethsemane and on the cross, and he died for our sins, according to the scriptures. And, uh, and he was really dead. Jesus Christ really did die. He entered the grave. He was placed in Joseph's tomb, and a big rock was placed over the darkness of that tomb he was buried but on the third day he rose again from the dead according to the scriptures Jesus died was buried and he rose here's resurrection from the dead verse 6 says that he was seen by about 500 people after his resurrection of whom the greater part remain to this present but then Paul says some of them have fallen asleep which means they've died in the Bible death is simply described as sleep just like when you go to bed at night you're out and if you have an alarm clock Uh, In the morning, it wakes you up, and it's time to wake up. And the Bible talks very clearly about death, burial, and resurrection. In Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, it says that many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth will one day awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In John chapter 6, Jesus very clearly tells us four times about the hope that we have As believers in Him. Those who trust in Jesus, who give Him their sins and receive His forgiveness. John chapter 6 verse 39, Jesus said, I will raise them up again at the last day. Verse 40, I will raise Him up at the last day. Verse 44, I will raise Him up at the last day. Verse 54, I will raise Him up at the last day. Four times in John chapter 6, Jesus Christ promised that those who believe in Him will be resurrected At the last day, Jesus strongly taught death, burial, and resurrection. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is a wonderful, and it's an encouraging, and it's a powerful passage in the Bible, which I have read uh, to bereaved families many times uh, after they have laid a loved one into the grave. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16 tells us that someday, and I believe it's very soon, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, will rise first. That's a resurrection. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another, Paul says, with these words. These words from God have been given to us to comfort us in time of loss. I heard an old, about an old saint who said, if you miss me, don't dismay. me. I may have to rest in a mound of clay, but when I hear the trumpet sound, I'm coming out of the cold, cold ground. These words from God are the truth. We cannot afford in these last days to simply trust our hearts. We can't trust just our feelings. We can't trust impressions or what many popular preachers may say. We can't even trust that New York Times best-selling books that claim to have people seeing things on the other side that really just don't agree with the Bible and we certainly can't uh, just rely on miracles because many of these signs and wonders will be false they'll come from the spirits of devils uh, trying to trick us and to lead us away from Bible truth if we don't know the truth about death burial and resurrection according to the Bible we don't have a ghost of a chance But if we want to be ready for the battle of the great day of God Almighty, if we we want to survive these final days, then we need to know the truth of what Jesus Christ taught and hold on to it no matter what. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's the greatest book on prophecy ever written. And in chapter 14, we read about three angels' messages that God sends to the whole world to help people to get ready for the return of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 14, verse 6, the first angel talks about the everlasting gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, that he came down here, became a man, died on the cross for all of our sins, and then rose from the dead. In verse 7, it says, Worship him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. And then verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God, and have the faith of Jesus. And these people, these saints, these commandment-keeping saints who follow Jesus uh, are the ones that are ready for the return of Christ. In verse 14, John wrote, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. So the sequence is, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 14, we have the three angels' messages, talking about worshiping the Creator, keeping the commandments, following the everlasting gospel, and those messages develop a people who are ready for the return of Jesus Christ. The world that we live in is filled with laws. Every country has its laws. There are even a lot of laws in the Bible, but there is one set of laws that tower above all other laws that have ever been written by man. I have here Two solid tables of stone Uh, these are the Ten Commandments and what makes the Ten Commandments so unique so different from every other body of laws is that they were written not with a pen not with a pencil not with uh, some kind of a stylus or computer mouse or uh, speech recognition audio speech recognition it's not some high technology but these commandments were written with the finger of God himself. That's what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 31 verse 18. And they were written on solid stone, which means that they can never they can never be changed. And the Bible tells us in Revelation 14 verse 12 that God is going to have a people, a group of saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus and who are prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. Now I want you to sit down and brace yourself because I'm going to tell you something that is not politically correct. It's not, uh, uh, in many religious circles, it's not religiously correct. Uh, it's an unpopular truth, but it's as solid as what was written with the finger of God. We read in chapter 14, verse 7, that God is going to have a people who worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them who worship the Creator. Verse 12 says these saints are going to keep the commandments of God. Now it is a fact that when you look at the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, there is only one, only one of these ten that specifically talks about the Creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it, uh, and it's right there in the very heart of the law of God, and it is commandment number four that talks about remembering and not forgetting the Sabbath. Now if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Exodus chapter 20 and let's take a look at this fourth commandment which is written with the finger of God on tables, which was written with the finger of God on a table of stone. Exodus chapter 20 verse 8, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. I think it's safe to say that there are millions of Bible-believing Christians today that have a general belief in the Ten Commandments. They believe in the authority of God's law. If you ask them, should we avoid idols, which is commandment number two, they'd say, of course. What about uh, lying? Should we lie? They'd say, no, definitely not. That's commandment number nine. Commandment number six talks about killing. Number seven talks about committing adultery. Uh, Commandment number five says, honor your father and mother and most Christians would agree yes we need to follow those commandments they're just they're just basic moral laws that we need to live by but when it comes to commandment number four when it comes to the commandment that says remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy for some strange reason uh, many just flip-flop and all of a sudden they say that you know really that commandment it just really doesn't make any difference what what day you keep but that doesn't make any sense does it make sense that the only commandment that God says remember is the only one that it's okay for us to forget. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. The fourth commandment continues and says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Now what is the seventh day anyway? Which day of the week is that? Uh, If you ask, any Jew, or at least if he's a good Jew, he'll tell you that the seventh day Sabbath is from sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. If you look up uh, Saturday in the dictionary, it'll tell you it's the seventh day of the week. If you look it up in an encyclopedia, it'll tell you it's the same. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament are very clear that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, not on the seventh day, but on the first day of the week. That's the day that Jesus rose, which is Sunday. He rose on the first day of the week, but the first day of the week is not the seventh day, it's not the day that is specified in the fourth commandment. In verse 11, Exodus 20 verse 11 gives us the reason why we should keep the seventh day Sabbath. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, and he rested on the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. He made that particular day a holy, special day. Now, let me just give you a brief history lesson uh, based on the Bible. I don't have time to read all of these verses, but uh, you can write them down or you can look them up later. Uh, They're very clear right in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, which is the very beginning of the Bible, when God made the heavens and the earth, he made the earth in six days and he rested on the seventh day and he blessed that day and he made that day a holy special day because it is a day to commemorate who he is as the maker of all life. When you go down to Exodus 20, as we've already read, God put that day into the heart of his law, the longest commandment of all, the fourth commandment, which says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. If everybody did that, uh, there'd be no struggle over evolution. People wouldn't think that we came from the goo, the cosmic goo. Uh, or through a monkey, eventually it became you and me. Uh, People wouldn't believe any of those things because they'd know what the Bible says, that God made the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day. When Jesus Christ was here, in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. In Mark, or Matthew chapter 12, verse 8, Uh, Jesus said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath day in verse 8 and verse 12 He said it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, and he's Lord of that day The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ died on the day before the Sabbath in Luke chapter 23 It's very clear that he died on the preparation day right before the Sabbath He rested in the tomb on the Sabbath and then he rose from the dead on Sunday uh, Which is is a parallel to the creation of this world? that God made the earth in six days and then he finished his work and then he rested on the seventh day. And Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath and then he rose from the dead on Sunday morning. In Luke chapter 23 verse 56 it tells us plainly that the disciples of Jesus Christ kept the Sabbath according to the commandment after Jesus Christ died. That's what the Bible says in Luke 23 verse 56. In Acts chapter 13 verses 42 to 44, the Bible says that when Paul was going out as a missionary and preaching the gospel, that Gentiles kept the Sabbath day, that they gathered together on the Sabbath day to hear the word of God. In Acts chapter 16 verse 13, the Bible tells us that on the Sabbath day, uh, Paul prayed and he went out by a river to spend some time in prayer, even when there were no Jews even when uh, he was doing missionary work among the gentiles he was still keeping the sabbath a long way from jerusalem in acts chapter 16 verse 13 when you go all the way down to the book of revelation revelation is the last book of the bible and its special number is 7 there's seven churches there's seven trumpets there's seven plagues there's seven horns seven eyes uh, seven angels there's all kinds of sevens and eventually god warns us about the number 666 which is not quite seven seven is God's number from Genesis to Revelation it is a number that represents him as the creator of heaven and earth in Isaiah chapter 66 verses 22 and 23 the Bible also says that uh, the Sabbath will be kept in the new earth that from one Sabbath to another all flesh in God's new earth will be keeping his holy day now if all of this is true which it is from the Bible then the big question is, well, how did the Sabbath get changed anyway? Uh, Here I have in my hand a Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine from the Roman Catholic Church. It says on page 50, Question, what day is the Sabbath day? Answer, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Question, why then do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Answer, we observe as Catholics Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the Solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. It's an amazing admission, but it's right there. And really, ultimately, the question we have to ask ourselves and the decision that we have to make is, are we gonna follow man? Are we gonna follow the Catholic Church? Are we gonna follow even what the Pope says? Or are we gonna follow what God says and what he wrote with his own finger on solid stone? That's the issue, man or God. I've made my decision. And I hope that you will make yours as well. Now, what about grace? Uh, Aren't we saved by grace? We don't need to keep the law because we're saved by grace, many say. When you look up Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul is very clear that, yes, we are saved by the grace of Jesus, that what happened was on the cross, Jesus took our sins of breaking his law into into his mind and into his heart, and he died on the cross for every sin we've ever committed. Praise God. But that doesn't change God's law. He rose from the dead, but that doesn't change God's law. In the same book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, Paul is very clear that Christian children should still obey the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my my commandments, which is actually a quote from the third commandment right here, written with the finger of God. So yes, we're saved by grace. It's grace that that forgives us because we've broken God's law. It's grace that clothes us in Christ's robe of righteousness. It's grace that gets us out of the pit of sin. But when we're changed by grace and when we've been renewed and transformed by His love and His goodness and His power, then we are going to become commandment keepers because that's what the Bible says. Back to Revelation chapter 14. Chapter 14, we have the three angels' messages to the whole world. Verse six talks about the everlasting good news. Verse seven says, worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of water. And then verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. It is a fact that when you look at the big 10, which God wrote with his own finger on two tables of stone, there is only one. Only one commandment that has to do with worshiping the creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in it. And that is the fourth commandment that tells us to remember, not to forget, the seventh day Sabbath, because that is God's day to commemorate him as the maker of heaven and earth. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Verse 14, I looked and behold a white cloud and he that sat upon the cloud was the Son of Man." God's going to have a group of commandment-keeping people who love Jesus, who follow the Bible, who are ready for His return. That is the truth that you need to know, and may God help all of us to follow His truth. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it contains God's last warning for a perishing world before the return of Jesus Christ. That last message is called the third angel's message in Revelation 14 verses 9 to 12. The Bible says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb and the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name." This is the most solemn warning in the Bible, and it's a warning about getting or not getting the mark of the beast. Uh, The mark of the beast is obviously not a minor matter. It's a life or death matter. It has to do with our souls and with eternity. The Bible is very clear on that. Those who get the mark, they will not survive. Now there's a lot of speculation about what this mark is, who the beast is, what the mark is. Uh, Many think that it's some kind of high-tech computerized microchip that's going to be placed under the skin, in the hand, and in the forehead. There are some problems with that idea. Uh, first of all, you know what if technology changes? So what if they do an upgrade? What if the uh, computer breaks? Uh, there's a lot of issues to deal with, but the bigger question is, is that really what the Bible says? Is the mark of the beast something that is just uh, skin deep? Or is it something much, much deeper than that that goes to our minds and to our hearts? Well, let's find out. Let's have a Bible study about this very controversial subject. In Revelation 14.9, we again read about a warning about worshiping the beast and getting the mark. Obviously, we need to know who this beast is in order to understand the subject. So I hope you're sitting down because I've got some uh, solemn information to share with you. When it comes to the beast, if you were to go back 400 years from today... uh, approximately and find Martin Luther who founded the Lutheran Church and ask him who do you think the Beast is he would give you a straight answer if you were to talk to John Calvin who founded the Presbyterian Church and ask him who is the Beast he would give you the same answer if you were to ask John Wesley who founded the Methodist Church who is the Beast he would give you the same answer or Charles Spurgeon uh, one of the greatest Baptist pastors who ever lived or countless other scholars Reformation scholars who have lived for the last 400 years Who is the Beast? They would give you the same answer. I have in my hand here one of the classics in Christian history called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And Fox's Book of Martyrs is also very, very clear. You can get this book in any Christian bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it. On page 43, it talks about the Papal Church, the Roman Catholic Church, and refers to it as having the power of the Beast, the power of the Beast. This is what Protestants Uh, used to believe this is the reason why they left the Roman church and eventually protested and became Protestants because they saw all of these different teachings and doctrines that were in the Roman church and they realized that these doctrines did not agree with the Bible. Uh, They didn't apply the beast to individual people but to a system that leads away from scripture that teaches praying to Jesus through Mary, that teaches uh, penance to earn the favor of God that talks about indulgences to cover sin, confession of sins to priests, that when you die, you go to purgatory, uh, salvation through the church rather than through faith in Jesus Christ. These are all doctrines of the Roman Church which really do not line up with Scripture. And so if the beast, as described in Revelation, refers to the papal power, then what about the mark? Uh, I have an amazing old Bible here. This Bible is practically fallen apart. It was the Bible of a lay Presbyterian preacher. And somehow I inherited this and kind of handle it very carefully. But in, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, when it talks about the mark of the beast, notice what it says here. It says a mark. It has to do with submission to the rites and the ceremonies of the papal communion. In their right hand represents active obedience to the papal power and in the forehead that represents outward profession of its doctrines and infallible authority this these are the footnotes of an old Presbyterian Bible and it shows that not only did the old ancients believe that the beast was the papal power but they also connected the mark of the beast to this same power Now, let's go back to our Bibles and I'm gonna gonna lead you in a very, very solemn and powerful sequence of clear scriptures that we have to understand in order to understand this subject. Revelation chapter 14, in verse seven, the first angel says, worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Verse nine warns, don't worship the beast and the image and don't get the mark. So verse seven tells us to worship the creator. And verse nine says, don't worship the beast. And then verse 11 talks about whoever receives the mark of his name, the mark of the beast. And then verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Uh, These scriptures are very, very clear. They tell us to worship the creator, not the beast. They They tell us to keep the commandments and to avoid the mark. And as I mentioned in the last segment, when you look at the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments, which God wrote with his own finger on solid stone, there's only one commandment about the Creator, which is the fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. And that commandment has been specifically changed by the Roman Catholic Church. Here again, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I didn't write this. This is an official document from from Rome from the Roman Church page 50 question what day is the Sabbath day answer Saturday is the Sabbath day question why then do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday answer we observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday the Roman Catholic Church not only changed the Bible Sabbath which God wrote with his own finger on stone into the first day of the week Uh, and claimed that change as her act. But she also believes that that act is a mark of her spiritual authority, that she really is the true Church of Jesus Christ. That is a belief of the Roman Church. Changing the Sabbath, according to Rome, is and represents a mark of its authority. Who else could change the law of God? except the true church says Rome. But as I look at these issues, my conclusion is that what God wrote is uh, above and beyond anything that man has to say. Revelation chapter 13 verse 16 tells us that at some point in the future when the final crisis hits, as a result of this crisis and as an apparent solution to a crisis, there will be the enforcement of a mark. Revelation 13 16 says he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand Their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast Or the number of his name if it is true What I'm telling you and what um, other people believe who have studied this out very carefully if it is true that the mark of the beast Is the mark of the authority of the Roman Church in changing the Bible Sabbath into the first day of the week if that is true and if Sunday is to become the final mark of the beast in the last days then we must expect that there would be Sunday legislation around the world at the very end of time is that a possibility could such a thing ever happen especially in America the land of the free And the home of the brave? Well, let me give you a little history lesson. Sunday has been enforced by law for a long time. Uh, It started in the year 321 by the Emperor Constantine in Europe. Uh, Study European history, you'll find Sunday legislation in various degrees that has happened off and on. In the history of of Britain, of of England, there were Sunday laws. Go to the time of early colonial America, when the pilgrims came across uh, the Atlantic and began to settle and to develop colonies. There were strict Sunday laws in the American colonies. They were called blue laws. There are organizations today such as the uh, European Sunday Alliance that are pushing for Sunday legislation. There are Sunday laws right now uh, to various degrees in Germany. The Roman Catholic Church is pushing for Sunday legislation. They would like to see it around the world. Uh, Is this possible that Sunday could ever be globally enforced by law? I'd like to take you back to the fateful Tuesday, September 11, 2001, when the two Twin Towers came down uh, in New York in the heart of our financial center. That crisis, September 11, was on a Tuesday. Remember that Tuesday. Crisis hit. Friday, three days later, there was a big church service in the National, Religious, uh, the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Uh, all the living presidents were there, senators, congressmen. There were uh, major religions represented. Billy Graham was there talking, uh, representing the Protestant world. There was a Catholic cardinal that was there. A rabbi was there. Uh, An iman was there representing the Muslim community. And they came together to pray in the midst of a crisis. And I certainly believe in prayer during a crisis. But as I observed these events, I noticed we had a crisis on Tuesday. And then on Friday, a move toward unity. And then what happened two days later? What happened two days later? Significantly, church attendance on Sunday went through the roof all around the world. Uh, In Australia, in in Europe, people were keeping Sunday, going to church on Sunday because they knew that this was a crisis, a big crisis that had a potential ripple effect to affect the global economy. And so people were scared and they were praying that God would help humanity in this crisis. And I looked at that scenario that week and I saw Crisis on Tuesday, unity of the world's religions on Friday, and then church attendance going through the roof on Sunday. Crisis, unity, Sunday, crisis, unity, Sunday. And I learned a big lesson from that. Now, uh, thankfully, that crisis didn't continue to deepen and unravel, and eventually things things got better. But one of these days, the Bible is very clear that a final crisis is coming. Daniel 1 says there will be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation the biggest crisis, crisis of all is at the door. It's on the horizon and when it happens We'll see the same things as what happened during the week of nine We'll see crisis We'll see unity and we will see people flocking to church on Sunday to pray for God to do something in the midst of this crisis and if that crisis which eventually this is going to happen if it doesn't go away if it deepens and if it gets worse you will see governments working together. You will see religions working with government and you will eventually see Sunday attendance shift to Sunday legislation. It's uh, it's as plain as the rabbi is Jewish. It's as plain as the Pope is Catholic. This certainly will happen. Crisis, unity, Sunday attendance, finally Sunday legislation in the midst of the final crisis in the history of this world. And when that time comes, then humanity will find itself in the middle of the book of Revelation, in the middle of the apocalypse, in the the middle of the last test of God that will come to the whole world. Revelation 14 verse nine, the third angel's message will sound with a loud voice and say, if any man worships the beast and his image and gets the mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same will drink the wine of the wrath of God And then verse 12 will appeal to people, don't do it, but be among the saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Be among that group that love Jesus, that follow Jesus, that have been saved by his grace and touched by his power. And because they love the Lord, they're willing to stand up for all the Ten Commandments, including the one that God said, remember, remember, don't forget. Everyone will have to make a choice. During that final crisis, when people hear the truth that they must know to survive, those that reject it, uh, those that believe in the beast, will get his mark in their foreheads, which represents their mind, their minds, and God will see that. Those who go along with the beast will get the mark in their hands because they're doing what they shouldn't be doing. They're rebelling against God himself, fighting his law, and they're following the beast and getting the mark. But God will have a people who will not do it, who will stand for Jesus no matter what. Even if they have to, they they can't buy or sell, no matter what, they're gonna follow Jesus and keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. These people will be uh, sealed and protected. When the seven last plagues in chapter 16 fall on those that get the mark of the beast, when the final trouble hits the world, God will have a people who go all the way through to the end and who are ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I wanna be one of those people. During the American Civil War, somebody asked Abraham Lincoln, And they said, Brother Lincoln, do you think God is on our side? And his response was, "Uh, I'm not concerned whether God is on our side. The big question is, are we on his side in this war? May God help you and me to be on God's side, to survive, to go all the way through, and to be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. In the last chapter of the Bible, in verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. A number of months ago, my little boy, who at that time was eight years old, came running into the living room early in the morning. Uh, His name is Seth. And he said, Daddy, Daddy, I just had a dream. And he said, in my dream, I was taken up to the New Jerusalem. Daddy, I saw the streets of gold. And then he said, Daddy, I saw a throne inside the city and on the throne. He said, Daddy, I saw Jesus Christ. And he was so bright, he was so bright, I had to squint in order to look at him. And I thought, wow, what a dream. Uh, The truth is that Jesus Christ is the center of the entire Bible. In John chapter one, it tells us that Jesus is really the one who made the earth in six days and who rested on the seventh day. When Adam and Eve sinned and went against God, Jesus did not forsake us. On Mount Sinai, it was Jesus that came down and wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger to show us what's right and what's wrong and what sin is. The New Testament tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his own son, that Jesus came down here, born in Bethlehem, he lived a perfect life, he kept the Ten Commandments for us. And then in Gethsemane and on the cross, he took our sins, all of our sins, into his mind, into his heart, the finger that was on a hand that wrote the law was also on the same hand that was nailed to a cross for our sins. Praise God, and then he rose from the dead. He went to heaven, and it was Jesus that gave us the book of Revelation to tell us about Earth's final crisis and what we need to know to survive. It's Jesus who warns us about the mark of the beast and calls us to be among the saints who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus and who are ready for his second coming. Uh, One of these days, all sin is going to be gone. Uh, All pain, suffering, sorrow, and death will all be behind us. And, And God will have a people who will enter a bright and beautiful eternity where they will live with him forever and ever. In verse 17, the Bible says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him who hears, let him come. Let him who is thirsty, let him come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In order for us to survive Earth's final crisis, we must know Jesus Christ and we must know Bible truth. That's how we can be ready for the second coming of our Lord so that we can live in a bright, beautiful, sinless, happy, loving tomorrow where we can look at Jesus as he sits upon his throne and be with him forever and ever and ever. May God help you and may he help me to be among those who survive.
1: We hope you enjoyed today's message by Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting messages just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com. Or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Steve That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support, and may God richly bless your day.